Good morning and Merry Christmas. You know, I went to, uh, to Camp Owens with, with Ryan the other day to, to teach up there. Um, I'm giving relatively the same Christmas message today because it's, it's a call to follow Christ. That's what Christmas is all about, the, the joy that's to all mankind. You don't benefit in that unless you follow Christ. Otherwise, that joy isn't to all mankind. It's to those who put their faith in him. But it was, um, it was really fun to speak up there. There were 56 of them, and it was a rowdy crowd, wasn't it, Hank? They were loud and distracted, and uh, it felt really fun to preach the gospel to a group like that. And you could see, you know, one quarter of them that were already saved and following the Lord. You could see their focus, and then you could see the few questioning and hearing the gospel message, and then a bunch of others who were just... So it was, it was quite fun. I didn't leave feeling discouraged. I left feeling like, that was awesome. I got to preach the gospel, and it was uncomfortable to a bunch of people who half of them, more than half, didn't even want to listen to me. So it was, it was pretty fun. <laughs> All right, but let's go first off to Luke 5, 30 through 32. And we've already been looking at this one some, but it says, And the Pharisees and their scribes, grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so this was the message of Jesus, is that sinners, those who realize they need a Savior, he came for you. And so when Christ came, you know, there's all kinds of things we think about at Christmas time, but let me just tell you a few things. Christmas is not about family. Family's wonderful. I love it. Christmas is not about gifts or uh, goodwill to all mankind. Christmas is about Jesus. It is a remembrance of who he is, and the Christ is born, and that Christ, we've, we've already been looking at this through the weeks. He's the anointed one. He's the one who came to die for our sins, so I don't know how to do a Christmas message without just sharing the true gospel that we all need to hear once again. So, um, let's see, Matthew 1, verses uh, 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now, first in, um, in this passage, it started off with a huge list of genealogies. So, I just want to look at three things today, and that's three prophecies about Christ, just to show how there were constant pointers and... All of them had to fall into place perfectly. It's pretty amazing. So we know something. He needed to be born in Bethlehem, right? But he also needed to be called a Nazarene. Well, Bethlehem and Nazareth are like 60 miles apart. And so he was born in Bethlehem, and the only reason he was born there is because he was traveling that way for, or his mom was traveling that way, uh, for a census, uh, because Herod had called a census of all the Jews. And so he, they were traveling that way for that purpose, and he ends up being born where he was supposed to be born. And yet he's still called a Nazarene. And yet there were also prophecies that he would be uh, called, um, he would live in Galilee of the Gentiles. Well, after Nazareth, he moved to Capernaum, which was in Galilee of the Gentiles. So he had to fulfill all three of those, and we see how he did it perfectly. But before we even got to the birth of Jesus Christ here, it had a list of genealogies. Because another thing is, he had to be a direct descendant of the line of Judah, which he was. 
And so they just demonstrate to us through a genealogy that he's not only a descendant of Abraham and a descendant of David, and then finally comes to him, but that you can trace his line back through the tribe of Judah because he had to be called the son of David. So now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now in the account of Luke, we we get the dialogue between her and the angel, and I've heard so many messages on it, and it's amazing, but a lot of them focus on Mary and what she went through. I just want to focus on Christ and, and, and who he is today, but obviously what Mary uh, went through was amazing, astounding. This incarnation goes beyond our comprehension. We, you know, we, we could spend time just sitting and talking about it, but I think that's time for another Bible study, but it's like, how did the, the word... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Father, Son, and Spirit knew what they were going to do, had this plan, but the moment that the Word became flesh, did he lose all consciousness as a tiny little, you know, embryo? Did he, did he lose all consciousness until he grew older? I, I have no idea. It is a complete mystery. We can't fathom it. We know he's fully God and fully man, yet he set aside his divine prerogatives, even though he was fully God. So it's astounding. We cannot comprehend. When we think about baby Jesus, it's like you, you can't comprehend. I'm pretty sure he didn't know anything. He was a baby. I'm pretty sure he, he laid that aside, trusting the Father and Holy Spirit. That we've got this. We've already planned it out. Obviously, they knew what was going to happen, but uh, it's just unfathomable almost to think of him growing and realizing, oh yeah, <laughs> I remember it all. Yeah, I'm, I'm the Christ. I was there before the beginning of creation like I've always been. And it would just be a fascinating thing to ask him about one day. And her husband Joseph, next, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now you'll notice here it says divorce her even though they were only betrothed. Well, in that culture, um, you, you became betrothed to someone when you were much younger, and it was so serious, that betrothal, that if you were going to break it off, it was considered a divorce. That's how serious it was, even before they were married. And so he realized, she's with child, I'm going to put her away quietly, and he's an honorable, honorable, just man, he doesn't want to bring any shame to her, but he's going to put her away quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's surmised by many but that that statement was said in Hebrew um, because it's a play on words. Uh, the way it's worded, I wish I had looked at it today, but I did it in a Bible study once. But it's like his name will be Yeshua, for he were, will Yashia or something like that. Yeshua, for he were Yashia, the people from their sins. So many surmise that they were speaking in Hebrew. Um, and it's surmised that, that Jesus and, and the disciples in their time mostly spoke Hebrew and Aramaic, and then later on more adapted to Greek, and they wrote the New Testament in Greek for us, because um, that was the most common language. And now, Matthew notes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So remember, even on Sunday, we talked about this, that the Gospels are constantly saying, this happened to fulfill this. 
And they're constantly just pointing back saying, look, there's evidence. We, we have the prophecies that talked about how it would happen. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Don't we call his name that? We just did today. <laughs> Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so I want you to just think about Isaiah making that prophecy 700 years prior. Not that it's 700 years apart. That's pretty amazing. But the audacity to get a prophecy, we know he heard directly from the Lord, but to say, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you're going to call his name God with us. Like, the audacity to prophesy something like that, could you imagine people studying this through the years and being like, what? A virgin's going to bear a son? And we're going to call his name God with us? What, what is this? How is this even possible? We needed extreme evidence, extreme signs to show that he was the Christ. Well, this is one of them. That's a really big deal. And then let's just look at a prophecy in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. So um, many have noted this. Uh, many even uh, Jews today who don't believe in Christ, they've noted that this verse is hard to explain. Why? Because the title that's clearly given to a man is a God title. How's that possible? Well, it's not possible except through the second person of the Trinity. And yet we have this saying, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Okay, we could have a person being called that. Mighty God? What? You can't call a person mighty God. In fact, that, that wording there, El Gabor, it's only used one time in all the Old Testament with those two words together, mighty God. And so it's, it's undeniable what it means. It means mighty God. And yet Isaiah's giving this title to a human. This would be forbidden except that he was shown to be a true prophet because he prophesied things of their day that came to pass. And so they realized all his writings are true. He is a true prophet of God. And so they had this in their writings, that there would be an individual, a human, it seems, a child is born, a son is given, and he'll be called Mighty God. He'll be called Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. That's a big deal. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Prophecy was often written as if it was happening right then. He was saying from this time when the Christ comes. And so his righteousness and his peace has reigned since he came. And in fact, he sits in the, in the throne of David, um, although he's in the heavenlies right now. But when he actually returns, he will come to the actual throne of David. And he'll be the king over all the earth. Now let's go to um, Matthew 2, 1 through 6. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. How many wise men were there? We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> it's always, they brought three gifts. We don't, have, we don't know how many there are. Yeah, we've got them in the nativity scenes. And the wise men did not visit Jesus as a baby. They visited him when he was about one or two years old, just so you know. 
some fun stuff for us. Um, and so they came to Herod the king, um, and they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is another mystery that's not explained in Scripture. How the heck did this, these three wise men know that he was born king of the Jews, that there was a Savior that was born? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But they came from a faraway land, and we don't know how they knew this, and yet they knew it was the king of the Jews. Now, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them. So now he's gone to the religious rulers, the ones who study Torah, the ones who study the Old Testament, and he inquired of them, where is the Christ going to be born? And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written in the prophets, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So we had a prophecy saying he's got to be born in Bethlehem. He's got to come from Bethlehem. And they knew it. They knew where he was going to be born. It's just fascinating. Um, and then, of course, you all know the result of that, that Herod um, killed uh, any children three and under, three and under or two and under, two and under, killed any children two and under. Um, this is, uh, we, we can't even fathom this horrible thing happening and what the Jews went through, but it just kind of sets the scene for the Messiah coming. Notice something, they had to wait another 28 years to see the Christ, and they went through this terrible thing. You know this was heard and felt all throughout Jerusalem. That yes, in Bethlehem and possibly surrounding regions of Bethlehem, probably thousands of children were slaughtered in front of parents' eyes. Uh, and so it kind of sets the scene for, we need a Messiah, we need a Savior, we need someone to come. And that's why many thought he was coming to conquer Rome. He was going to come and, and, well, he will one day conquer the whole earth. He will come and establish his kingdom. But right now, he does it in our hearts. Uh, <clears throat> now we jump to Matthew 4. 12 through 17. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, so this is Jesus as an adult now, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. So, so far we've seen about four or five prophecies already that were fulfilled to the T. So he had to be from Bethlehem. He had to be born of a virgin. That's kind of a big one. Um, and then he had to be called a Nazarene, and I didn't look at that one, but we, uh, that one already happened. And now it says, he left Nazareth and he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The reason they called it Galilee of the Gentiles is because these two tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, they sinned against the Lord in the Old Testament um, horribly and he allowed the enemy to come in and take over their land. And then it, they, they fought back and forth for a long time until it was kind of a mixed bag, like Jews and Gentiles. Hence, they would call it Galilee of the Gentiles. And they were kind of a scorned place, just like Nazareth was. Um, and yet, this prophecy was written right after they'd been taken over. And he was like, listen, I know this seems bad right now. So this is um, Isaiah speaking to them way back then, or this one might have been Ezekiel. Um, but he was saying, I know it looks bad right now, but let me tell you a prophecy about what's going to happen in your land. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. 
Then Matthew tells us, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we have, the, the light has dawned upon you. And the next line is, Jesus preaching for people to repent. And so Galilee of the Gentiles, when Jesus first moved there, this is when he begins his ministry. And so on the, the land of darkness, a light has dawned in that moment. But his message, of course, is repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's look at Luke. Let's look at Luke uh, 2, verses 8 through 11. It says, and in the same region there were shepherds. You are on it. <laughs> Good job. I didn't send her any other verses. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so, notice something. We have the same titles, the two things that are required for following him. The same things that Paul lays out in Romans 10 when he says, you must confess that he's Savior and Lord. Here we have he's the Savior, yes, and we know what he came to do to save the people from their sins. We have evidence of that all throughout the scripture. That's why he came, to save us from our sins. Um, so he had to be savior, and then it says he's Christ, that's the anointed one, and the Lord. And the Lord means king, master, the one to whom we bow our knees. And so I point this out to note that the peace and the beauty of Christmas, it is for those who recognize him as savior and Lord. Hence, you can have a rough family. You can have difficult times. You can have uh, tough times financially, all these things. But none of that matters if your focus is on the Savior, Christ the Lord. If your focus is on Him, then we can celebrate this season. Of course, we're celebrating it all the time. As Christians, we should be celebrating every single day the, the, the birth and death and resurrection of our Savior. We think about it all the time. It's our bread and butter, and it's our, it's our daily bread that we live on. We know he came to, took away, to take away our sins, and that's about all I have to say. Got a couple more verses, but we don't even need to go into them. So just remember, it's all about him, and please, parents, teach your kids. Hi, Hayes. Goodness gracious. He's been at it. Uh, teach your kids what Christmas is about. Um, teach them, remind them. It's okay to have all these presents and toys and stuff. That's fun. It's wonderful. But remind them that the greatest gift is Jesus and that we do this to remind ourselves. Ethan and Enoch have got it down, but every time we've asked Emma this year, what's Christmas about? She says, getting my presents. <laughs> huh, Emma, look at her dress. You're so precious. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for coming you did not have to come. <laughs> Sorry. You didn't have to come, and you did. And we celebrate you. Yes, as we have fun with family, and, and for those going to Chef Serape, Lord, just um, bless us as we give, and bless them that are receiving. May they receive the gospel for those who don't know it. Um, would you Stretch all of us who go there and minister to step out of our comfort zone and get to know some people and sit down with some people and talk. 
and to serve with love and to hopefully share the gospel as well as you give us opportunity. But Lord, we just thank you so much for this season, for this time of remembering that you came and that you fulfilled all the prophecies, hundreds of prophecies you fulfilled perfectly. And we're so grateful that you came for us. Thank you for being our Savior and our Lord. We, we lift our hands in gratitude and we bow our knees saying you are our King, our Master, and we follow you. Thank you. Amen.